Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Miami, Indiana, and Brooklyn to look at media days as the NBA is back. Training camp is on our doorstep, and the stories are rolling through. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com, the lead analyst at Yahoo Sports Australia, and the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast. Also, Media Day is here. That means the NBA season preseason is right around the corner. So we checked in on a few teams, the Indiana Pacers, the Brooklyn Nets, and the Miami Heat for all of the news that we have got from those teams on today's episode of Locked On NBA. Let's get to it. Now I'm joined by one of the hosts of the Locked On Heat podcast, Wes Goldberg, is here with me. Wes, some pretty good news for the Miami Heat over the last couple of days with Eric Spolstra being signed to an extension. He is now the second longest tenured head coach in the NBA behind Greg Popovich and, of course, when Pop retires, whenever that will be. Spolstra will likely ascend into that crown as being the longest tenured head coach. He is. Um, he feels like, apart from Popovich, the coach with yeah, probably the uh, highest level of coaching security in the NBA now. Would you say that's accurate? Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, given that nothing is for sure, and especially given that coaches are so often fired, you know, despite all of Eric Spolster's success, I think just having that job security is huge for somebody like him. And you pair that now with having a superstar player like Jimmy Butler things really seem to be trending in the right direction for the Heat because, Josh, had I was a little worried about the Heat's ability to just keep Eric Spolstra had they not gotten Jimmy Butler. You look at this roster, Spolstra, over the last few years, and it's just sort of a bunch of role players and a, a far cry from what he was used to coaching in the Big Three era. And so there was no guarantee on either side that Spolstra was going to be with the same team for, for his whole career. There was never a guarantee. Uh, and it's still not a guarantee, but it... it it keeps the two sides together in what has been a really good partnership um, for a lot longer. Why do you think that, you know, Spolster, look, the Heat haven't had great success since the uh, since LeBron James left. They've been in that, you know, six to nine sort of range in the playoffs over that time. People are complaining that they're, they're going nowhere, that Riley signed bad, bad contracts in that um, summer where Linick and James Johnson re-up with the team and they're just sort of, a treadmillish type team, I guess people have that opinion. But so, why does Spolstra have this level of, um, I guess, aura with the team, this job security? Why is he never really spoken about? I never really hear him spoken about as being someone who could be on the hot seat. What is it about him and the Miami Heat that just seems to be this uh, perfect and, and long-standing match? Well, first and foremost, there's the familiarity between him and the coach and the front office. He he came up in within that organization. And when the Heat talk about culture, they're they're also talking about dynamic. It, it's it's it feels like it's a family business in a way that they kind of just keep people around. You know, you, you can go back to 
you know, players that have played there and now have front office roles, such as Alonzo Mourning and things like that. So there is a sense of loyalty, for better or worse, there's a sense of loyalty there. Um, and so I, and, and for the most part, they keep things in house. So if there was ever any issue with Eric Spolstra, the only time I could think of was when LeBron James, I mean, remember when LeBron like bumped into him on the sidelines oh, yeah, infamously yeah. and there didn't seem to be a lot of trust between LeBron and Spolstra in that first year. And some reports have indicated that LeBron even wanted Pat Riley to come down, take uh, fire Eric Spolstra and, and take on the head coaching job. And Pat Riley told him, no, I'm not going to do that. Spoh's the coach and showed him and showed Spo even then um, this level of trust that before that Spo never like at that point, Spo had not won two championships and not gone to consecutive finals. He had not done the, and accumulated the record that he has now. So for Pat Riley to trust him even then when the stakes were as high as they ever had been, um, like why would you ever let him go at this point, especially considering look at the roster that he's had. Yeah, LeBron James leaves for Cleveland. But then you you look at the Chris Bosh issue with the blood clots. I mean, that was unexpected, something completely out of Eric Spolstra's control and something that impacted their cap situation for years afterwards. Uh, Dwayne Wade left and came back and wasn't as, and obviously wasn't the same player during his peak years. And so a lot of the things that have happened with the Heat have been completely out of Spo's control. And if anything, you could say the only reason they ever made the playoffs in the first place was because of Eric Spolster, that he got that team within that kind of seven to eight range with a roster, quite frankly, if you look up and down, it was one of the least talented rosters in the league for the last couple of years. So you know, the, the word now is, you know, I have heard, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this or see what you've heard regarding it, but with Spolstra having this contract extension with Pat Riley, you know, pretty, getting pretty far along in his career, that there is talk that perhaps we see Spolstra transition into the Riley role at some point. That is his career path that he stops coaching. Who knows when that is, but moves into that front office role. Is that the path that you see happening here for Spolstra with the Heat? It's it's hard to say. Uh, one thing we do know is that Eric Spolstra recently cracked the inner circle as far as team building is concerned, roster moves, trades, acquisitions, everything like that. That's that's a seven or eight man panel basically within the Miami Heat front office. Eric Spolstra within the last few years has cracked that panel. He has more and more of a say as year, as every season goes on as to how the team is constructed. And you could bet that he's going to have a huge say in how this team is now constructed around Jimmy Butler, right? Yeah. So for I, I don't I don't see him necessarily taking on this role of czar of everything Miami Heat basketball. That, but even Pat Riley doesn't really have that. I think a lot of people from the outside look at Pat Riley and say, you know, the buck stops with him. And while that may be true, there is it, it is a team effort there. You've got guys like... Nick Arison and, and Shane Battier and Alonzo Mourning and, and and Andy Ellisberg and Spolster are all involved in everything that sort of goes on there. And so while become sort of the figurehead for that and, you know, the ultimate decision maker and the tiebreaker for everything happening while he's still coaching, but it's not going to just be him doing everything in the way like Bill Belichick does with the Patriots, it seems like. It's going to be still sort of a team with him just sort of being the head of the team as opposed to Pat Riley at this point. Well, it is, it is obviously great news to have Spolstra extended here. Nobody likes you know, situations with coaches being out of contract or we don't know where, where things are headed or being on the hot seat. It doesn't lead to successful seasons. And, of course, the Heat have high aspirations this year with Jimmy Butler. 
Joining the team, um, one last bit of news on the Heat. It does appear there was a, a weird sort of fine for Justice Winslow, $50,000 for saying that he wanted to be the starting point guard, and it has come out that uh, he won't be the starting point guard for this team. Is that is that a, Am I reporting that correctly, that Dragic will be the starter for the beginning of the year? Yeah, that's certainly what it seems like, but I'll go back to what the Heat keeps saying is... <laughs> has really sort of been on this drumbeat of we don't really have a starting point guard that he sort of just dismisses the notion of point guard, which is a pretty in vogue thing to be doing in the NBA right now. Um, I've heard, you know, as the media days sort of roll on, I've kind of heard people pushing back against this general notion of point guard. What even is a point guard anymore? Justice Winslow is going to have the ball in his hand. The other thing we know about Justice Winslow, unfortunately, is that he likes to be labeled a point guard for better or worse. And it's a label that is out of fashion and a little bit out of touch. But he likes to be called the point guard, and he played better when he was just called the point guard. Now, what he really needs is to have the ball in his hands. And I think Goran Dragic, even if he is, quote-unquote, the starting point guard, does play well off the ball. He's a good catch-and-shoot, three-point shooter. Uh, He's comfortable playing in that position. And if you look at this Heat roster, what could be the starting lineup of a perimeter of Goran Dragic, Jimmy Butler, Justice Winslow, all three of those guys can handle the ball. All three of those guys could do stuff with the ball. They can shoot. We saw Justice Winslow's shot come along at the uh, during last season. So if that, if he can maintain that, don't think that this is going to be a big issue going forward. I think for Justice, what he wanted to do was basically put it out there that he wants the ball in his hands. That just because you get a high usage player like Jimmy Butler in Miami doesn't he doesn't want to go end up being some sort of three and D afterthought. He wants the ball in his hands, and I think the Heat understand that, but they also don't, I guess, like the degree to which he went to explain that. All right, so it is going to be an interesting season for Miami. Wes will have that covered for you with David over on Locked On Heat. Wes, thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. Thanks for me. Manscaped is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Locked On at manscaped.com. I'm joined now by the host of the Locked On Pacers podcast. Tony East is here with me. We had the uh, we had the uh, Pacers media day a, a day or so ago. Some interesting stuff coming out of that. But first off, Tony, I want to get an update from you from media day on Victor Oladipo, where he's sitting with his injury uh, and when we can expect him to return. Well, he was uh, kind enough to not give us hardly any information on his uh, return. Unfortunately, he was not really dodgy. That's the wrong word with the questions about it. But he would always answer with like an anecdote about like how he'll play when he gets back or comparing himself to Wolverine, his favorite comic. Um, and Nate McMillan, you know, didn't wasn't really um, definite in any answerings about him. Miles Turner was the only guy who really said anything. He said uh, he'll be back, quote, earlier than expected, but we don't really know what expected is. So it's kind of hard to say uh, if we're being completely honest. But uh, the, the talk was that uh, earlier in the summer that it would be like December, January range. And then uh, we did uh, just basically not get any new information from that today. But we did see uh, in their first practice the following day that he, you know, ran with the, did like all the conditioning stuff and drills early in the practice, just didn't do any of the contact stuff. So he's running and in uniform and stuff like that. He's just not doing any contact or anything concrete like that yet. Normally, when we get players you know, doing non-contact portions of practice, it does take after they after they actually return to contact, yeah, you know, a few weeks after that. So, I think that December 
uh, January timeline still feels pretty accurate. He's still not going full pace. The, the pace is a, a few of these guys like Turner, as you said, in talking up the, the return. He looks like he never left, I think was a quote from somebody there. But I don't think anybody should be getting their hopes massively up. And plus, the other thing we have to uh, factor into that, Tony, is that when he comes back, it's not going to be bang 35 minutes straight away, playing every night back at full full force Oladipo that we saw even before that uh, knee injury, before the quad injury last season. So we are still a little bit of a ways away. But what we also saw... At Media Day is Nate McMillan talking about the opening night starting lineup. It was as we expected with Malcolm Brogdon, TJ Warren, Jeremy Lamb replacing Oladipo and that front court of DeMontis Sabonis and Miles Turner. It felt like that was always going to be the way they had to go because the other options, there's really not any at that spot. Okay, so let, let's talk about that Sabonis-Turner pairing now that it is confirmed for opening night. How did those two play together as a duo last season? Because we didn't see much. McMillan would always hint at, oh, yeah, we want to play them together. We want to see how it goes. And we just didn't see it all that much. But in the time that we did see it, how did they fit together? Yeah, it was kind of interesting because it just didn't ever look good, but it always had somewhat good results you know they ended the season with a good net rating they would you know maintain the lead that they had or maybe grow up by one or two points uh, now on the occasional they played the celtics or some team that matched up well they just get killed but you know in the in the small spurts they had every game you know they played five to ten minutes a night basically together it did okay most of the time and that's kind of the thinking i think that goes into this season is okay it was okay in short minutes let's see what it's like bigger and that was kind of a, a hot topic at media day was asking those two guys about it and they both said you know kind of similar things like yeah it was okay last year but i think we both think it could be better if it's more consistent and we get a better feel for it you know we already saw in the first practice uh them out there together sabonis assisting turner on a corner three which seems like the dream scenario for those two fitting together um so if they can figure out each other's strengths on offenses with more playing time it could be better but uh, all the evidence we have so far suggests that it's like slightly above average as a duo if it doesn't work, so if the Sabonis Turner, it, it is a disaster. Like we saw a couple of years ago with Nurkic, Jokic with the Nuggets, they tried that and it, it didn't really work. And then Jokic said, I'll go to the bench. And then that was obviously ridiculous. And then he came back, all that sort of stuff. So if it doesn't work, what other options do the Pacers have here? Well, hopefully the option isn't trading Sabonis for and a first rounder for Mason Plumlee. Like the Nuggets <laughs> sure oh, you would sure doesn't not. seem like a good outcome here. Um <laughs> They have yet to extend Sabonis, so in theory, a trade isn't impossible for either of them because if he is extended, the cap rules dictate that it's much harder to, to move him this season. So they'd kind of be stuck. Uh, not that Turner's untradeable. I just think they value him a little bit more in trade talks. But uh, they also, you know, uh, Nate McMillan hinted on media day at that Warren uh, is capable of playing small ball four in a pinch if they need that. Um, TJ Leaf is running the backup four minutes right now in practices, and he's been talked up by Malcolm Brogdon as a guy who has been playing really well in these uh, scrimmages. Now, take everything said in media day with a grain of salt, of course, but if he takes a step, you know, he could fulfill some of the minutes if the duo isn't working. So they have two candidates. I'll, I didn't, I couldn't think of a good adjective to describe them both, but uh, they do have two candidates to potentially play more for if, if the duo doesn't work. But uh, if it does, then great. But if it doesn't, yeah, I, I just, I can't see them trading either guy. That seems too reactionary. So it just seems like they'll try to shift more minutes to other guys. The other option, I guess, you could have there is Doug McDermott, but of course, nobody wants to be relying upon that as a starting uh, power <laughs> forward on this team. I think that if they could survive that situation until Oladipo did return, it would enable them a little bit more flexibility to push Warren up to the four, because then Jeremy Lamb could slide across to the three. But if we're looking at pushing Warren up to the four, then that position at uh, at small forward becomes a lot more barren now as well, and that would open up some uh, some problems there if that was the case. So if they could push it through until Victor returned, then it would give. A little bit more flexibility 
in that situation. What was the general vibe like at media day for the Pacers? You know, we all know that everyone loves to, you know, to fluff themselves up at media day and then talking big game and all that sort of stuff. What was the general vibe from the Pacers there about how this team is looking, the big changes that they went uh, underwent under the offseason, how they compete without Oladipo around? Was there a, a huge sense of optimism? How did you take the, the quotes and, and what was happening there uh, at media day? Yeah, with with so many new guys, you know, I feel like optimism is kind of just going to happen, right? Everybody thinks, oh, great, this is going to fit well together. We like the skills we have. Um, Nate McMillan's key word that he kept using when he was asked about the new guys is they're all in their prime, right? Jeremy Lamb and uh, TJ Warren and Justin Holiday and uh, Brogdon and all these guys that were in the summer all in the like 25 to 27-year-old range, you know, they're, they're Rather, their peak of what should be their basketball ability for the few years that they're going to be here. Um, and that inspires optimism, of course. And, you know, a lot of the guys are upgrades over who they had at their position last year outside of maybe TJ Warren. I think you could argue Lamb's a better backup, too, than who they had, and Brogdon's a better point guard. And, you know, Warren's a little worse than Bogdanovich. But it, everybody seems like they think it'll fit well together and work out. And they're very impressed, obviously. Again, media day's fluff, but um, with who, what they've seen and, in the, the the runs they had before training camp started. And they have a lot of youth, and everybody seemed to be uh, optimistic that the young guys could take a step up this year because a lot of their depth pieces, you know, they, it looks like Aaron Holiday and Edmund Sumner and TJ Leaf and Goga Batadze will all be on the second unit. That's a pretty young second unit. So uh, if those if any of those young guys can take a step forward, that'd be huge, and everybody had high, good things to say about them. Shout out to Gogo, who I'm uh, super excited to see actually play in a game this he season. He is the funniest guy. He was someone <laughs> threw a ball to him for a picture and said "squeeze the ball," and he thought they said "scream," and he just yelled as loud as he could <laughs> in the gym, and it was so funny. Gogo is going to—I think he's going to be the uh, the Pacers' new cult hero for for this season. But he's actually going to turn into a really good player. So that cult hero, uh, you know, Boba Majanovic style, is going to disappear when he becomes actually really good. So that's uh, something for the Pacers to look forward to. Of course, Tony, you're going to have all of the Pacers news covered for us over on Locked On Pacers. And thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. Yeah, Josh. As always, thanks for having me. I'm now joined by one of the hosts of the Locked On Nets podcast. Josh Bass is here with me. The Nets had their media day a couple of days ago. Josh, of course, uh, you know, Kevin Durant was there. He was uh, wearing his uniform and taking photos. We're not going to see him this season. But the, the big news, I guess, out of the Nets camp at this point is the early injury suffered by Kyrie Irving. Uh, had an elbow to the face, has a facial fracture, and is wearing a mask. Is this anything that we need to be worried about for when the season kicks off uh, on October 22? Yeah, Josh, this is something where obviously uh, unfortunate news and inauspicious start to Kyrie Irving's uh, tenure with the Brooklyn Nets, but uh, shouldn't be anything major. Don't think he'll miss any time, really just precautionary. It was interesting that the Nets decided not to say who uh, hit Kyrie in the face. I guess they're uh, protecting the players by not having uh, the Twitter and, and the media paparazzi dox whoever did it. But, um, you know, Kyrie is, is definitely accustomed to playing in a mask, and that's what he's going to be doing once he does return so um obviously not the best news that you want to see starting camp but nothing major in uh, in the slightest the other news that we we had here i guess is that the talk of the the camp is torian prince who the nets acquired in that alan crab trade earlier uh, in the offseason before before the draft now last season we had uh, rodion's kurooks starting at power forward for big chunks of the season i thought there was a chance that he was going to come in as the starting power forward uh, but it does appear that, that Torian Prince is going to have that uh, have that role. He's probably going to play it a little bit different to how he played in Atlanta, but he seems to be the, uh, I guess, the buzz player coming out of Brooklyn Nets media day and the beginning of camp. 
Yeah, he's someone that is getting a lot of hype um, by by other Nets players and also Kenny Atkinson because you have to remember, even though Atkinson didn't overlap with Torian Prince, Prince was drafted right after Kenny had left to become the Nets head coach. Um, obviously, the systems in place in Atlanta um, were, were a lot of the ones that Kenny had developed, and uh, that's a lot of the reasons why the Nets were um, wanted to trade for him because Kenny Atkinson thought that Torian Prince could really be molded in his system. And Prince is a guy that in his first three seasons of the league has, have really uh, come along as a three-point shooter. He was someone that had a very consistent shot at Baylor, but has emerged into a guy who shoots a great percentage and also a, a heavy volume. But he's someone that with his rep as a three and D player, the defense has never really been there. So that's something that the Nets are really going to have to rely on because without Kevin Durant, without Rody Kurtz, you know, me and you might both love Lance Thomas, but he's probably <laughs> unlikely that he's going to be the real uh, defensive stopper there given his complete ineptitude on the offensive end where the Nets are just going to want to put him out there on the court. So there's a huge dearth for a defensive stopper on this team. And Prince definitely has the physical tools to do so. It seems that he's relishing the role given some of his comments in training camp and he's playing for a contract. And even though the Nets did deploy uh, a lot of draft capital to get him, it was more so to offload the Allen Crabb contract, take a bet on a, a solid young player in Prince and at least free up the cap to sign uh, KD Kyrie and, I guess, unfortunately, DeAndre Jordan. But with Torian Prince in the fold, uh, it'll be interesting to see how he performs on the defensive end. But if he does have a really strong season on both sides of the court, he's going to be in line for a huge contract this offseason. You uh, you mentioned DeAndre Jordan, and that's another thing that's come out of the media day for the Brooklyn Nets is how they're going to be looking to use that center position. Jarrett Allen was the starter there last season with Ed Davis backing him up, but it does appear that with Jordan and Allen there, we're going to be seeing you know, close to like a 50-50 split here in minutes, maybe alternating as starters and using as a, a center by committee and Atkinson talking up both of these guys at media day. Yeah, Atkinson, Atkinson really did. And, uh, you know, Given that um, it's just the start of camp, he really doesn't want want to play his cards already. Um, he was talking both them up, saying that it's going to be a very competitive um, training camp between the two guys, and they both had a very strong start in the initial practice. Um, a lot of people have talked up Jared Allen as someone that's really improved, uh, especially working on his body and just continued uh, getting reps from someone that was definitely very raw coming into the league and someone that's really impressed. And I think DeAndre Jordan, even though his rep has really um, kind of diminished over the last couple seasons can have um, a really nice year in Kenny Atkinson's system given that the Nets will have a lot of shooting on the court most likely and also because he's not going to have the expectations that were uh, upon him when he was in Dallas and, and the Clippers before that. It's really going to be for him he's he's more so a complimentary player. People think he's overpaid at this point in his career and I think he could bounce back and exceed expectations but overall I think Jared Allen talent is going to simply win out when it comes to camp, uh, you never know how injuries might play into things. But I think at the start of the season, Allen will be the starter with DeAndre Jordan getting at least a, a heavy dosage of minutes, probably in the range of 20 to 24 as well. It's going to be interesting to see with this Nets team, of course, made the playoffs last season, broke that drought, um, and then acquired Kyrie Irving, no D'Angelo Russell, so a different squad this year, of course, you know, building more to the future for next season when Kevin Durant actually does return. But there's going to be still lots of interesting basketball in Brooklyn this season, Josh, and you'll have that covered for us all over on Brooklyn, not Brooklyn, on Locked On Nets. That's the name of the podcast, so check it out over there. Josh, thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Josh. 
And that will do it for today's episode of Locked On NBA. Make sure you are subscribing to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. And if you could go and leave us a five-star review, that would be unbelievably important and very much appreciated if you could do that to help get this show out to more people. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore b Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.